0: bloodstream listeners host patrick here alongside nobody amy's not here this is a cold open that we are recording after the episode was recorded we had a programming change just before the holiday break so i am here to present you with what is actually the last episode of 2023 coming out at the beginning of 2024 so there's a couple things in the edit that have changed if you hear some skips that may be why but I have some updates since we last recorded. Three things I want to point out that uh, would be of interest to you all, I believe. The first, the WHO had cryoprecipitate listed as the essential medicine for hemophilia, something we discussed at length in the previous episode. Well, since our last episode, the National Bleeding Disorders Foundation and the Hemophilia Federation of America came out with a statement where they expressed their, quote, deep concern uh, for the recommendation and stated, quote, with factor eight concentrates available globally, the inclusion of cryoprecipitate as treatment for hemophilia is an egregious, misguided recommendation that does not account for the inadequate safety of cryoprecipitate relating to the transmission of bloodborne illnesses such as HIV and HCV. We call on the World Health Organization to include factor eight concentrates on the essential medicines list outside of the complementary list where it currently exists. That's a great step forward. I also spoke to a staff member from the National Bleeding Disorders Foundation over the break. And this month in January, there's going to be a multi-stakeholder group that comes together to align on the strategy, the messages, and the next steps as it relates to this. So some really nice progress since our last episode a few weeks ago. And kudos to the NBDF and HFA for uh, organizing together on that. Another update, Canada, for our Canadian friends up north. Pfizer hemophilia has a gene therapy B product, the name of which I will butcher, both the scientific name and the Canadian commercial name. So we'll just call it Pfizer's hemophilia B gene therapy drug is now approved in Canada. And there was a statement that I read earlier from the Canadian Hemophilia Society, which welcomes the approval of, I'll go for it, Beck Vez, maybe Beck Vez, Uh, the second gene therapy for hemophilia B to receive its notice of compliance from Health Canada in recent months. Uh, CHS President Wendy Quinn, our hope is that gene therapy will be made available to those who are eligible and have made an informed decision to proceed. So some nice, exciting updates north of the border. And on the topic of gene therapy, as we're going to get into in a little bit, Amy and I will discuss, Amar and Maya will chime in. Saturday Night Live featured sickle cell disease in a skit toward the end of the year. Again, since we recorded this episode uh, initially, there was a statement published by, or a a brief article rather, in Fierce Pharma with quotes from advocacy leaders in the sickle cell community. I don't want to step on the segment, so we're going to put a link in the program notes if you want to read that article, but do know there's been more activity that's taken place since what we recorded for the rest of this episode. So that's it. I'll go away, and then Amy and I will come back. Enjoy the rest of the episode, and we'll be back on our regular schedule the second and fourth Friday of the month starting next Friday. Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And
1: I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. On today's
0: show, the final of 2024. We've got three great segments, I'm Fine, this time with a focus on the caregiver experience with scientist Jessica Bombardier. Which
1: I love. She's <laughs> always like Chris's wife, and now she's legitimate like a scientist, which she is, actually.
0: We've got the latest Elite Athletes segment, Profiling Elite Athletes with Hemophilia this one focusing on and i don't know if he's a a recently new uncle or if he's expanded his uncledom but anthony pazillo is in focus for today's elite athlete with hemophilia segment and lastly snl screwing up mainstream acronyms left and right are butchering rare blood diseases. We'll get into that (laughs) and more on this episode. Welcome to Bloodstream.
1: Hey, listeners, thank you all for joining us today. And if you like what you hear, please share this episode on social media or all the things and subscribe. You can subscribe on all the things as well. We would really love that. And it'll be fun. You know,
0: it's so much fun. Have you ever done it? You hit the button, it changes color. Yeah. And And then like,
1: like January 2024, you're all new and fresh. And it just like populates. Just
0: comes right to you bit. like you're a king or queen. It's incredible. <laughs> I also want to remind you, Royalty, that our Bloodstream podcast is indeed made possible by the presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right. Takeda. Takeda's got this website. Say it with me. Bleedingdisorders.com. Where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Which I do as well. Me three. Great. And they're doing more than ever in an effort to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients on their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be, you can learn more by simply visiting BleedingDisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, Amy Board, Mm -hmm. summer 2016 is when this show kicked off without any support whatsoever. And we said, we've got a few months that we can make this happen before if we can't find support, we may have to let this idea go. And here we are, end of 2023. They were there from the beginning. They're still there now. And I just want to say, thanks, to Kata. All right, so we've got a whole lot to get to, Amy Board. Over the weekend, Saturday Night Live featured a three-minute sketch that was about a Yankee swap, a very popular holiday gift-giving thing. And the core idea of this sketch and the joke was that someone brought a custom high-value gift for one specific person, except that person didn't want that gift. Oh, okay. I see. That's a premise. And then they repeated that joke later, basically with the exact same beginning, middle, and end. The problem is that they chose that the gift would be some fast pass to cut the two-year wait list of the recently approved gene therapy for sickle cell disease, except the patient there didn't want it. He wanted the dancing Santa instead. I'll let Amar Zaidi, the host, co-host of the Cheat Codes podcast and one of the key opinion leaders in the global sickle cell population, along with Maya Bloomberg, who y'all hear plenty of times on this podcast, another expert in sickle cell, I'll let them drive the response to this. It's obviously something that I find quite upsetting. And I can only imagine how upsetting it is for the patients and the providers when yet another mainstream moment for a rare blood disease is utterly butchered by those who had an opportunity to do so much better. If you want to dip your toe into a sickle cell joke, do it right. Otherwise, pick something else. That joke premise doesn't require sickle cell. But let's hear what Amar and Maya have to say, and then Amy and I will be back. All right, Bloodstream listeners, joined now by Amar Zaidi, hematologist, KOL in the sickle cell space, and co-host of the Cheat Codes podcast, part of the Bloodstream Media Network. Amar, good to see you today. Thanks for joining me.
2: Hey, Patrick, it's always a pleasure to jump on with you.
0: Uh, And it's a pleasure to talk with you, even if it's about things that we maybe prefer to not have to talk about. So I just mentioned in the intro to this uh, sort of the what happened exactly, the the table setting of it. So let me jump ahead a question and ask you, why was this sketch problematic?
2: You know, for me, my my first sort of inclination, Patrick, was um just just sort of disgust, right? And and the reason for that was because we spent a lot of time changing perceptions, changing hearts on patients with sickle cell disease, how they're perceived, how they're thought about. See, what we're dealing with in this population is really a well-informed and unified group of individuals who do their best to try to make the best decisions for their life. And it has been a challenging road to get to the place we're in right now, where sickle cell patients finally have. An audience a spotlight importance they're they're suddenly being asked finally for their opinions on things what their advice their direction on how to make things better you know this clip is really tearing a little bit of that down it's creating this this picture that that patients are not able to, or informed in a way that allows them to make informed choices. And that, that, that's really the, the part that bothers me most.
0: Let's clarify a little bit what of what's said in the sketch is true and what was made up, because there is a gene therapeutic available now for sickle cell. Is that correct, Amar?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, it's, it's a monumental moment, right? We have a disease, the first described molecular disease, um, that was really a blueprint for how we studied genetic diseases. And we got to a point almost 110 years after the first description of the disease where we do have a gene therapy and it's a novel way to do gene therapy and hopefully will inform gene therapy for many, many years to come. So there is a moment of celebration. There is this, this idea that, that we should be celebrating the situation we're in. So so yes, there is. that's absolutely factual. There is a gene therapy. It took a lot to get to it, but we do have curative therapy that edits genes.
0: Is there a two-year wait list for patients who are... Eligible and interested
2: so that I don't actually know that I don't I have never fact checked I'm not sure Patrick Um, but I can imagine that it's probably not going to be as simple as walking into a pharmacy and uh, you know picking up a medication right certainly there's going to be obstacles along the way I I can't speak to how long it's going to take
0: so to your point about there is there is a moment of celebration here to play the devil's advocate Are we sure that this sketch was bad? Is the awareness piece good? And what if one of the writers, you know, we did a little homework. And there's a number of writers on Saturday Night Live who are people of color, who are black people. And while the sketch incorrectly attributes sickle cell disease as something that doesn't affect, say, white people, uh, we know it can affect anybody, though it does affect majority Black people in this country and people of color. Is that correct, Amar? I want to make sure I'm being accurate.
2: That's absolutely correct. I mean, even globally, right? This is a disease globally of mostly people from the African continent and the Indian subcontinent.
0: So I have to imagine that if one of those writers themselves doesn't have sickle cell disease or doesn't carry the trait that somewhere in their family, just by the sheer numbers, there must be relation to sickle cell disease. If that is indeed the case does that change anything if there was a member of the community say who was part of the decision making process does that change what we experience with that sketch
2: you know i i totally appreciate this the devil's advocate side of this uh of this argument and i'm going to speak to the first part here you talked about this awareness angle right we're generating attention and i hear you i mean there's, there's that adage, right? That there's no such thing as bad press. Um, and, I, and I get that. I, I do. I, I just feel like. No matter who's speaking. On behalf. Of the sickle cell community. Or for the sickle cell community. It is impossible. To capture. The entire. Community's feelings in a thoughtful and coherent way, because everybody's lived experience with sickle cell disease is completely unique. So to attribute with a broad brush, an opinion to a community of a hundred thousand Americans with anything in common, really is, to me, very short-sighted.
0: Maya Bloomberg, the heme NP, we hear from her quite often here on Bloodstream, and she had some thoughts on this as well. Let's give a listen, and then we will give you a chance to react and respond to those.
3: Last week was a monumental time in sickle cell history after the FDA approved two gene therapies. It was so monumental that it was included in an SNL holiday Yankee swap skit. The attempt at humor was in poor taste and left many people offended, confused, and angered. I think we can all agree it was nice having a big network like NBC highlight Sickle Cell, however not at the expense of those who are facing real battles. Sickle Cell is highly stigmatized and misunderstood, and these jokes fuel further stereotyping among a population who suffers enough. There is enough misinformation in there also, making it seem like this condition only affects the Black community and that there's a two-year waiting list which definitely does not exist However, with that price tag, there will definitely be delays in actually getting it available to the patients who need it most. There were so many opportunities to joke about this topic without offending an entire community in the process. So what can you do in response? Well, we're doing it right here by expressing our concerns and more importantly, continuing to educate and spread awareness about sickle cell. Right now, my social media feed is filled with reactions and comments about the topic, and whether you were offended by the skit or not, it opens up a dialogue to help understand different perspectives. In reality, we need to have more sickle cell warriors in the writing room to help educate and bring insights on the condition so comedy can be used effectively to raise awareness and humanize the sickle cell experience rather than perpetuate these stereotypes. Sickle cell has lacked prioritization for decades and patients are faced with negative attitudes and treatment by medical providers. The only real way to change this is by humanizing sickle cell, the physical and the psychological struggles experienced by both patients and the entire family and reflect inward on our own implicit biases.
2: I think she raises a, a, a lot of really good points. There is um, certainly a lot a lot of problems with um again this this idea of breaking down what we've been trying to build in that the sickle cell population is not um, it's not anyone's property to make jokes at to poke fun at to to sort of be used as the punchline and I, and i think that we've created this environment where yes, there's more awareness. Yes. People, people are more cognizant of sickle cell disease, but it's created discomfort that they're allowed to sort of use it, um, conveniently for, for entertainment or, or, or cheap laughs. And, and, and that's something that, um, is just. I think I think Maya said it well. It's just it's not in good taste.
0: I want to remind everybody again that Amar is the co-host of the Cheat Codes podcast, part of the Bloodstream Media Network, where he and his co-host, Dr. Mike Callahan, speak about the news events and community of the world of sickle cell. They speak with top KOLs, top patient advocacy leaders, and patients from around the country and around the world. So I highly recommend if you're enjoying listening to what Amar has to say, if sickle cell is meaningful to you, check out Cheat Codes. And lastly, Amar, I want to ask you, for those fired up, I just saw something from Sick Cells. They, it looks like, published a two-page letter that they've put out through Uh, social media calling for SNL to use its platform to push out corrected factual information about sickle cell. That seems like a good response from my point of view. From your point of view, for those who are fired up, what's to be done?
2: I think channeling energy into continuing to drive awareness for sickle cell disease is absolutely the right thing to do. We're finally getting to a point in this disease where patients have more to do as far as disease management then go to the ER and get pain medication. We have true, true therapies and now curative therapies, right? It's a beautiful moment. I think we just need to continue to drive positive conversations. We need to continue to separate out any harbored implicit bias that exists within us among, you know, for people of color, particularly the black community in this country, and, and really help empower a community that's been disenfranchised for such a long time. I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of people who were not offended by this clip, who really did appreciate the platform, the awareness, who have this feeling that comedy is comedy and, and all is fair in, uh, in, in this, in this world of laughs, I want to acknowledge those people too, because it's also their lived experience and that, and that, and that part of the community certainly exists. So, so this is, this is sort of my opinion. Um, and, and I, and I'm just one advocate, uh, in, in this really, really large community, but that just goes back to the original point of, we can't paint this entire community with one broad brush is this is gonna, um, always be a community full of unique individuals, unique perspectives, and all of those perspectives should be respected and honored.
1: Thank you to Dr. Z, of course, and to Maya, Um, and of course to you, Patrick, for coordinating and getting it all together. Um, wanna to transition to uh, Anthony Pazillo's Elite Athlete segment. Anthony Pazillo, I think, was just a really dear, dear uh story in our Redefining Impossible film. And his brother, of course, is Rich Pazillo, who has appeared on this podcast many times. And it was just really fun to see, um, to see their dynamic, to see their family history, and to see Anthony really, who's, you know, kind of in, in terms of like bleeding disorder um visibility, has like kind of been in the background
0: time big time and i hope i hope rich and anthony don't mind my sharing this but rich had reached out to me shortly after we first contacted anthony about potentially being cast in the film and later that same day after the first conversation rich reached out to me to say how much that meant to anthony and how he had never thought of himself as like a lead or like notable as an athlete in any way and how good it was for him just to like be able to think about it and articulate it regardless of where it went and i, I knew at that point like we're most likely moving ahead with him too but it was cool to hear hear rich you know as a, as a dear friend of mine kind of share like hey my brother like that meant a lot to him so um so yeah let's give him some more shine uh but before we do Sanafee, this would not be Possible without their support, and they seek to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community, in case this kind of a segment didn't make you aware that possibilities have expanded, take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities such as martial arts at levelsmatter.com. And now, on to Elite Athletes with Anthony Pazillo Tonight, on Redefining Impossible, the podcast... We step
4: into an odyssey of grit and grace, where the indomitable spirit meets the unyielding body. In this segment, we pose a question that defies the ordinary. Who in the hell steps into the realm of mixed martial arts while grappling with the treacherous tides of hemophilia? Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at the time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com.
5: My name is Anthony Pazillo. I am a martial arts instructor. I'm a fourth degree black belt and I teach at Mastery Martial Arts.
4: Meet Anthony pazillo not just a man, but an embodiment of tenacity and the warrior ethos. In the grueling arena where fighters are not only born, but reborn through adversity, Anthony stands apart. Here, through his own unaltered words, is a portrait of a man who's mastered the art of turning the impossible into the I'm possible, a testament to the power of the human spirit. Anthony's journey's not just about punches and kicks, it's about the philosophy that underpins the discipline of martial arts. He tells us,
5: What looks good in the movies never works on the streets. What looks good in the streets, never look, looks good in the movies. So we need to be conscientious about that. And also at the same time, you know, that the, the world has evolved so much and there's so many new changes and, and laws against, you know, fighting and all these things. So the first thing we do as martial artists, just like your children learn, is to negate the situation.
4: Anthony's voice is calm, but it carries the weight of experience, a testament to the first lesson he shares. The principle of avoidance over confrontation.
5: just walk away. There makes no sense to, to try to do something that's going to affect your life and, and you know have a long-term effect. So it's really important that we use martial arts to build ourselves, not so much that need to ever hurt others. Although if we have to in self-defense and, and, and that's the thing. Dan Nassano says it all the time, Keith. He says, you know martial arts is like insurance. You have health insurance. You have car insurance, you have home insurance, you have life insurance. You have these insurances, but you never wanna have to use them. That means something went wrong in your life. Martial arts is the same way. Nothing's guaranteed by the way, even you can be a 10th degree black belt. Nothing is guaranteed that you'll be able to protect yourself. It's a grounding concept.
4: Anthony likens martial arts to life's essential insurances, highlighting the value of preparedness in an unpredictable world. It gives you the advantage, hopefully,
5: to get yourself out of a sticky situation.
4: But it's not all solemn lessons in philosophy. Anthony's story takes a playful turn back to his days as an eager 11-year-old.
5: When I was 11 years old, all I wanted to do was spar. I was a white belt uh, earning my yellow belt, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world, to have the opportunity to put gear on and, and play. Um, I had no idea what sparring was, by the way. Uh, it's a sport. Um, it's chess, by the way, at the highest level. You, it's chess using your feet and hands, that's all it is. Um, and so uh, my mom finally invested in the gear and my instructor knew how enthusiastic I was. And I was kind of like that that young boy who like had a chip on his shoulder. I was gonna show somebody what's up. Um, so he, he strategically placed me with a black belt female. Um, and this girl kicked me in the head so fast, I didn't even know what the heck was coming to me. And I'm like, oh my God, what was that? And then she kicked me again. And then next thing I know, the, the whole match was over. And I'm just like, oh my God, that was awful. Like how the heck that happened? I didn't realize I'd meet up with that woman later and she'd become my wife. And now we have two beautiful children and we share this great experience with each other and uh, it's a blissful thing. So that's my, that's my uh, proudest moment in martial arts, hands down.
4: It's clear this memory is a cherished one. His voice brightens as he describes the serendipitous spar that would lead to a lifelong partnership. But Anthony's path wasn't without its trials. He speaks of humility, an essential lesson learned through the art that he now teaches with passion.
5: Humility is, is recognizing your shortcomings and understand we're not perfect at everything. We're never gonna be perfect at everything. It's impossible. Even Tom Brady, he doesn't win it. He never won every game of his life, although he's very successful. So we need to practice humility.
4: His humility was put to the ultimate test on March 13th, a date etched
5: in his memory. I was training a martial arts class and I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Flew right out on me. I was preparing for uh, the, the documentary, and I was training hard. I was six days a week, uh, gym working out, weight training, lifting, uh, training martial arts, boxing, all of it, and just one day, it snapped on me. And, and I kind of felt like my life was, was shot. Um, And and my mindset was, it's not the setback, it's the comeback.
4: Anthony's resolve in the face of this devastating injury is nothing short of remarkable. And
5: I opted not to have surgery. I I didn't realize this was uh, an option. So uh, that moment, uh, within six weeks, I was out of a boot and walking again. As a hemophiliac, I mean, even if you don't have hemophilia and you rupture your Achilles tendon, you know... The the recovery time is a long time. Some people never recover from this injury. Um, And within six weeks, I was so determined. I was out of a boot walking again.
4: As a hemophiliac, Anthony faced a recovery that could have been insurmountable for many. But his spirit, well, that was unbreakable.
5: This is life. My brother taught me something a long time ago, and it sticks with me for a long time. It's one of the principles I I follow in my life. These are the cards you got dealt, how you... To handle these cards is entirely up to you. Anthony's story is a testament to the
4: yes I can attitude, a principle that shines throughout his teaching and personal philosophy.
5: I strapped in my diet. I started push-ups, sit-ups the next day. I'm like, this is not going to stop me. And then I use this lesson to show our students at Mastery is that life is full of adversity. How you handle it is ultimately up to you.
4: Redefining impossible isn't just a phrase for Anthony Pazillo; It's a lived experience a shared journey he embarks on with every student he mentors. From the streets to the dojo, from sparring as a child to teaching as a master, Anthony Pazillo's life has been a masterclass in the martial arts of living. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefining Impossible, the podcast. Don't forget to watch the film Redefining Impossible for free at EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com and thanks once again to Sanofi for sponsoring this segment. I'm Keith Corneluck and I'll talk to you next month on Redefining Impossible, a podcast only on Bloodstream.
1: Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorder community.
0: And now from we'll say the body to the mind, although the mind is part of the body, so I don't want to create too much differentiation there. We move into the I'm fine segment, which aims to challenge entrenched ideas around chronic resiliency and satisfaction with suboptimal outcomes by inspiring people with hemophilia to seek education and once again, truly consider the possibilities. Sanofi seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community, and you can take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia, and once again, at that important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. Now, um, well, actually, before we go into I'm Fine, I want to give you a moment, Amy, to help us as the audience. You said at the top of the show Jess Bombardier is a science, but she's a scientist, but she's often in this community known simply as Chris Bombardier's wife or Chris's wife, which isn't an untrue part of her identity, but hardly all of it. Anything you want to share with us before we dive into the segment that may help us appreciate it a little bit more? Why are you laughing? Because <laughs>
1: because this actually didn't make it into the final cut of the segment. But when I started the interview, I asked her, I was like, OK, introduce yourself. And she like kind of gave me a weird look. And she goes, which introduction, like Hemo wife <laughs> introduction or? like normal introduction. I was like, oh, hemo wife introduction. Um, no, I mean I, I think, you know, Jess has put a lot of um time and energy and uh words to her partnership with her husband. And um not all of it, you know, has to deal with hemophilia, but a lot of it does. And she is um very much You know, I I wouldn't even, she is definitely a leader, but I would say she's more of a den mother. You know, I think in the community, I think people flock to her, um, and especially other partners and especially um, other spouses really do flock to her to, um, you know, find that solace of that very, you know, unique aspect of life of being, you know, a spouse or a partner, um, caregiving, um, someone who has um, a rare chronic disease, mm-hmm. and um, she just puts wonderful words to it. And she's very funny. And <laughs> um, you know, I recorded with her at like eight p.m., so she was like half asleep. It's great. It's going to be great.
0: What? Yeah, I love a good half asleep <laughs> segment. So let's get into it. Just Bombardier, and I'm fine.
1: This is all I've ever known. Is that even possible for me? I don't want
4: to miss anything. I don't need that. I don't want to acknowledge my pain.
3: I don't want to get poked with needles. I don't don't want that.
4: There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine.
5: fine.
1: Welcome to another episode of I'm Fine, the segment that explores the layers between those two words, I'm fine, especially in the context of living with hemophilia. Today, we're exploring the caregiver and partner point of view, and joining us is Jess Bombadier, who shares her life with Chris Bombadier, a person with severe hemophilia B. Jess offers an intimate look into the delicate balance of care, love, and partnership in the face of a chronic condition. Fifteen years... 15 years of partnership has given Jess a deep insight into the ebbs and flows of life with hemophilia.
6: In the beginning of our relationship, uh I think Chris took
1: more uh
6: management over his hemophilia at least as far as like when he was supposed to infuse and letting me know when he had an injury. And then I I think just as the natural course of a relationship I became more aware had in tune with, um, just for like the natural rhythm or like could recognize when he was injured and had a bleed. Um, and honestly, I think I got pretty vocal about, um, like forcing him to infuse pretty early on because, um, he, he was just so obstinate and didn't want to do it. And then the injury would get worse and then he would be like bedridden, um, and it would like ruin our plans. So, um, Pretty early on, I, I would say like, hey, do you need to infuse or "You know, when's your day to infuse or more so is like how many days late are you on your infusion? Um, we had a lot of conversations about treatment changes, too, you know, because right in the middle of our relationship, we started having more options for hemophilia B outside of what he had taken his whole life. And so we were able to have a lot of conversations about should he switch? Should he not switch? What would that look like? How would that alter? His ability to do what he was doing, um so yeah, we've always we've always been very vocal about it.
1: Jess, at any point, did you ever feel like you overstepped? Yeah, I'm
6: sure I overstepped at some point. I know that there was a situation when I nagged him and forced him into infusing because I thought he was injured and thought he should dose again. And then afterwards, he's like, "No, it's not a bleed." Um, and I think I think he had fought, fought back and was like, no, I don't think I should. And I was like, well, I think you should. Um, so I think that was probably, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it an overstep. It was just, I think it was my opinion versus his opinion. And I know that it's his body, but I also know that his tendency is to err on the side of not infusing even if he is injured as a caregiver to also have just like feelings of some disappointment and resentment. However mild that they are, I mean, this affects your life and the things that you can and can't do.
1: So, Jess, what is your advice or guidance for other caregivers who possibly see a solution that their partner just refuses to act upon? I think my
6: suggestion for the caregiver of the person with hemophilia would be, um, if if necessary, you could do the background work and the research on your own like on your end and and see if there's any information that you can come up with you know obviously talk to the HTC um, hematologist and see what they think too Um, but maybe just come to your spouse armed with a lot of information Um, I think that's really going to be the best bet in all scenarios just have all the information at hand to try to make the best decision for you and your family Um, and if you're on a medication that isn't giving you the life that you want or that you deserve. Um, I think it's worth exploring everything that there is out there to try to give you that because everyone deserves to be pain-free and, and happy and healthy.
1: Good caregiving and partnership are all about communication and mutual respect. It's about walking together, but not leading or following.
6: I've had to adjust and shift the way that I've had empathy towards Chris. Um, and the kind of like what that looks like and what I say um, and, you know, his disappointment in an injury or a bleed or even just having to infuse, right? Like he's got a really terrible needle phobia. So um, trying to approach that in a way that works for him and not necessarily in a way that works for me, I think, has always been an interesting uh, bit of growth on my end. So I think that might be a good piece of advice for other caregivers, is try to figure out what your spouse needs in terms of support. Um, you know, what do you say? What do you not say? Um, how do you act? Are you in the room? Are you not in the room? Um, do they want you to m- sort of like mother them and care for them? Do they want to be left alone? know, I think everybody's a little bit different and feels differently. So. Trying to figure out what it is that works for them and not necessarily works. what works for you is important because I've kind of pushed my own agenda on Chris and that didn't work.
1: Thank you, Jess, as always. You know, every caregiver's journey is unique and it is about empathy, understanding, and that delicate balance of support. It's not about calling the shots, but all about gently nudging in the right direction and being there side by side through every challenge and triumph. Thank you for joining us on this segment of I'm Fine. Remember, if you are living with hemophilia or supporting someone who is, this journey is more than just about managing a condition. It's about nurturing a relationship based on understanding, patience, and love. Subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever you listen to those podcasts and stay tuned for more insightful stories. Take care and let's continue supporting each other in saying, I'm fine.
0: Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. Thank you, Jessica Bombadier. Thank you, Amy, as well, for leading that segment. And I want to give a quick shout out to the final summit. If you enjoyed hearing from Jess, you can hear her as well on the final summit, which is available at Bloodstream Media. Thanks as well, of course, to our other episode contributors, Anthony, Amar, and Maya. And of course, this episode would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Visit bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. And thanks as well to Sanofi for supporting the elite athletes and I'm Fine segments. One more time, visit levelsmatter.com to learn more from them. All right, Amy Board, Bloodstream will be back in 2021 for our last episode of the year. Do you have any idea what we're going to be talking about in the beginning of January?
1: Absolutely not. I'm on holiday vacation, baby. (laughs) Absolutely no idea.
0: Well, then the only way that you will find out is if you subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think you know somebody who would benefit from one or more of the segments or topics covered on today's show, Please share the episode with them. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to reach Amy or me with anything that you'd like to hear in 2024 or with thoughts that you have that you would simply like to share, Yes! Mailbag. At bloodstreammedia.com.
1: Which is awesome. Literally email us at mailbagatbloodstreammedia.com.
0: <laughs> I've never known you to be so excited about email. You're just excited <laughs> that you didn't have to say it. I think I that's know, mostly I know. what I it I, is. I,
1: when you started going to us, I was like, I'm not going to have to say media.com
0: That was my end of gift year to you. I said, <laughs> I will say that and I will leave you with the final word of 2024 before we say goodbye.
1: Thank you, loyal listeners. Honestly, every single event that i have gone to in the community this year someone has come up to me and said how much they have enjoyed the podcast and that they listen to the podcast and that means the world to us so you are a part of this it's not just me and patrick up here on um our big loud mouths you are a part of this so please um please reach out to us with what you want to hear guests you want to hear um topics thoughts all of the things and from the bottom of my hearts thank you so much for listening
0: I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And
1: I'm your other host, Amy Board.
0: And until next year, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.